This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fur Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Fur Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today's episode, I'm going to cover a unique lease slash contract strategy called a master lease with option to purchase. This is something that really doesn't happen that often in the industry or in real estate in general. I would say probably one to five percent of the time, but I regularly hear about it from clients or prospective clients as a valid strategy and idea that would make you think that it happens about 20 to 30 percent of the time. But we've barely done, I think we've done a handful of these. Um, be honest, we've, you know, we've been around them. I've done, I mean, over the years I've done other leases or other options or I guess in residential world I used to do more of them but on mobile home parks I don't see it very often um, generally I see it on deals that are a little hairy uh, a little tough to get financed or a little tough to appraise and or with a seller that's got a crazy price and they're used as a strategy to get over the hump in the short run so what is a mass release here's the definition I found online here Not that I didn't know it, but uh, this is easier. A master lease is a controlling lease that gives the lessee the right to control and sublease the property during the lease. The lessee has equitable title to the property while the owner retains the legal title. That basically means you don't really own it, but you got a right to it so nobody else can buy it up underneath you. Carrying on here. Master lease agreements are commonly used in commercial real estate deals. I don't see them that commonly, but um, they come up a lot. And there's different types of master lease. I mean, generally a master lease, the, the lessee, so let's say I'm the, I'm the quote, future buyer or future owner of the mobile home park. Basically, I need the rights to manage the mobile home park. I need the rights to sublease it to residents. I will take uh, all the risk. I will make monthly lease payments to the seller. I will pay generally triple net or absolute net I'll pay the taxes the insurance the company maintenance I'll do the collections I'll run the enterprise and I will run the park and I just don't yet own it and I will hopefully own it at a certain date and key terms would be rental payments term uh, execution price you know, what's this going to be worth so uh, you know this may this strategy may work on a deal that you can't quite get there on price or it's not bankable right now so you operate it and improve it. Um, it can be a little risky because things can go wrong, uh, perhaps not through your your own fault uh, during the lease period. So I would be very cautious before spending lots of money on capital improvements and capex as a lease lessee during the lease period. You can certainly increase rent, you know, bill back water sewer maybe, but before before I went and like replumb the sewer or connected to city sewer or put in new roads, you know, all of which cost tens of thousands of dollars. I probably would think twice about that. Typically a lease option is gonna be only for a short period of time, say two or three years. 
and there's going to be kind of an execution price or you know almost like a seller finance of the balloon basically you got to strike on this date or you've lost your opportunity so that's just real high level what is a master lease you know the general pros of a master lease for the buyer or you can generally get in with zero to low money down and you can buy more deals that otherwise are not bankable pros for the seller is you basically get out of the management and you get guaranteed monthly quote guaranteed monthly payments if i'm representing the seller i'm going to want that lease to have personal recourse personal guarantee um, if I'm the buyer's rep, I'm probably not. Right? I'm probably trying to get away with not having that. But the key is that you got the seller tied up as well. So you want to record a memorandum of lease, which basically puts everybody else on notice that somebody else has the right to buy it. Other best practices would be do your due diligence just like you were going to buy it. You need to get a title preliminary title commitment or at least an owner's encumbrance report to make sure that the lessor slash seller actually owns the property. Uh, you know, other best practices would really be to have money in escrow, um, you know, have a deed in escrow, make sure that a title company is paying, either either the buyer gets to pay the taxes insurance directly, or you've got some sort of escrow agent that's doing it um, for you, so that you know the seller's going to do it. Um, you really don't want the seller to try to get out of it, because if they see you're improving the property, they may purposely... Um, Try to say, try to get you to fail so they can take back up rights of operation ownership for the new and improved park. So you can definitely want to have a, a valid option to purchase a valid contract and specific performance, which requires the seller to specifically perform. That's important. Um, it's a little more risky, in my opinion, because you know what happens if things go wrong. Um, there's like an insurance loss or something. Well, you hope the seller has insured. Sure, you can try to monitor it, but it could be in a big fight. You could be, you know, improving the park, increasing occupancy, and there is insurance, but generally, let's say you sold 20 homes. You don't generally have insurance on tenant-owned homes, and all that infill and value-add you just performed goes up in smoke. And no fun. But, you know, there's a, there's a risk mitigation piece of that, I guess. You don't own it yet. You can just walk away, and maybe you have minimal earnest money or minimal down payment but like any other lease or contract you should have this lot of the basic terms on you know lease rate term you know some sort of rights to entry or non-interference um rent payment you know the, the status of the lease is it net double net triple net any warranties you know what's the proper use or repair obligations inspection obligations insurance stuff indemnification your standard reps and warranties and breaches you know and then obviously the facts of the address the legal description notice address for violations things of that sort oh what else basically as the tenant buyer which what you are you get the profits above and beyond the lease payments to the seller um, you could negotiate to some degree on the tax benefits, but you could argue that um, if you're a tenant buyer that you should get some of the depreciation and other benefits. Talk to your CPA or tax attorney on the tax component of that. Um, and again, usually the tenant buyer is going to pay for any maintenance and upgrades. Um, and you don't get the legal title until closing. 
Ideally, the benefit to a buyer is if the property appreciates in value when you eventually close on it, you're buying it as a bargain, which makes it easier to bank and then also just generally better. Um, if for some reason markets change, the property changes, you could just give the property back, um, depending on what the agreement says. Generally, the seller, you just pitch it as, look, you know, easy process, freedom of not having to do the work. Um, sometimes you can get a, give them a little bit more money because it's more favorable for you, especially with down payment. So that's generally helpful. You can pitch it as like low risk income for them. And that's generally helpful. You don't need an appraisal at the time of lease. So if a deal is not going to bank, it doesn't really matter as much. You just need to make sure you have an exit strategy, especially if there's you know a termination of rights or some sort of balloon. You want to make sure you can get out of it um, successfully. Okay, I just pulled up a template agreement we used the other day on one of these. I'll just give you some other key terms to see if I missed any of these. Oh, you know, just in general, are there late charges if you don't pay? Is there a security deposit, which would generally be like earnest money, you know, and then eventually there's an option price and then a you know, strike price. Who gets to use? Um, if you don't, basically, if you don't execute the purchase and you need to surrender the property or you're a holdover tenant if you don't um, generally you don't want the seller to be able to put any more liens on it right so they have to have some sort of representation that they will not and then you, you need to again right before closing rerun the title and make sure the seller has payoffs of their loans another thing i just thought of that um, i would do in the front end is to get my survey my preliminary title commitment my phase one environmental all at the time before lease signing, which is a big expense, I get it, but you'd hate to, you know, fix the property, go through, you know, 36 months of effort to only then go order a phase one environmental to find out it's dirty. You just wasted all this time. Um, so that's why I, I don't really get why a lot of people want to do these, to be honest, because it's a lot of work, just as much work as a closing, but there's more risk. Um, as far as seller messing it up later, or I just prefer do my due diligence, buy the property, get the tax write-offs, get the, you know, all aspects of the cash flow without as much of a lease payment. Because generally a lease payment can be more than a mortgage payment. I mean, it's negotiable, but that's what the seller's going to probably want. Um, because you're operating, you are going to need some form of property management agreement, or at least right to maintain and manage as lessee. Generally, you put utilities in your name. I mentioned recordation of a memorandum of option. That's good for making sure you have priority of lease. Typically, you have absolute right to sublease to at least mobile home park tenants, but you probably can't assign the rights to some other tenant buyer. You really don't want the seller to have rights to tenant buyer. There's really, excuse me, rights to sub so to assign. Oh, what else here? Standard contract stuff. Who gets what in the event of condemnation? What are the default provisions? Who covers legal expenses? What are the rights to cure? Um, force majeure, notices. These are all kind of boilerplate at this point. Accord and satisfaction. Yeah, and most of the rest of this, uh, here in my template, which I haven't read in a long time, um, is, is just standard a lease and a contract, and you merge them together. And they, this can be just another tool in the toolbox to solve a problem on a deal. I mean, recently, this is the one I, the one I dusted this off. We had a client, the deal made sense to you know, proceed and move forward, 
but it wasn't really your straight down the fairway deal that was going to just take it take it to a bank, get it financed, seventy five LTV. Here we go. So it was one of those. Let's uh, let's work on it for a while, you know, a couple of years, and then then pull the trigger. Um, you know, in some instances, the seller is going to say, "I'm not going to let you just take my property to the market for low down." It's one of the main fruits of this route is that you can often get a low down payment option. But sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes the sellers say, "Look, you want the right to work on this, and you're not going to close for we're not certainty of closing. I want hundred thousand dollars down payment at least execution, non-refundable." Whoa. You're going to do that. You better make sure you got a good exit strategy or years of extensions. That's another good, good thing to do in general with options. I used to do options more when I was in retail, but it didn't really have, they were more called extensions and they really didn't have a purchase. Like, you know, if you, if you build a Walgreens and they sign a 15 year triple net lease, they're not going to just only do it for 15 years of rights, they're, but they're also not going to commit to 50 years. I actually had CVS as a tenant in Topeka and it was a 50 or 55 year lease. And they had basically every five years they had the right to extend, and the rent only went up like fifty cents a square foot. So it was a bad deal for us as the shopping center owner because it's like they were at some point, you know, we were like year forty-five into the deal when we bought the center. The lease was stupid low, you know, because people back then didn't think it was going to go up this high. They had it locked in. Had another client that owned a movie theater, and they had a fifty-year lease, and the movie theater caused problems. This is a really high-end shopping center. And the movie theater just caused problems because they attracted a bunch of kids that just hung around and loitered and caused problems. So the landlord non-renewed their lease like, I don't know, like five years out or something and just said, don't ever come back. So then, then the, it was kind of interesting because then the movie theater chain wanted to just piss them off and they started showing the types of movies that they anticipated would cause the most rabble-rousing of guests just to stick it to the landlord. But anyway, uh, if you're the buyer, you got to have some extensions in there because you'd hate to run out of time or a good grief COVID-2 shows up and you're about ready to buy and it ruins your day. So in general, you want outs, as I used to say in uh, poker, and extensions are a form of outs. Contract, Good contract visions are a form of outs. But overall, mass release options, again, it's a strategy that I'm seeing more and more, really more and more talked about. Often there's a different way to get it done, either different due diligence, different reps, joint venture, seller carry on a second note. We're seeing a lot of seller carry as basically preferred equity, meaning unsecured additional leverage for the buyer. And that generally has worked better for some sellers because the sellers that can really do a master lease are probably the mom and pa that have the deal paid off because typically if they have a loan on it, it's probably a violation of their loan covenants, whether they know it or not, to give up operational control. You know, if you're the buyer, you're going to want to be in on all the insurance stuff. You're going to be in on all the the notices, all the government documentation. So at some point, one of those things is going to tip off the bank. I bought a house once actually on lease with option purchased. And the pain there was I, I wanted to be an additional insured on the loan, but I didn't have the loan. This was actually a what they call it back then, subject to the existing mortgage. So I was actually was buying it, but subject to the existing mortgage. So the seller's mortgage was in place and had his credit on it and his, his collateral and everything. And the property's collateral also. The problem I ended up having was I wanted to have insurance in my name. Well, his bank wanted him to have insurance. So 
my deal, I was paying triple net, paying all the payments, and I was paying for two insurance policies. So I tried to get his bank to quit, they wouldn't. I tried to get my bank to quit, they wouldn't. I, I had two. So eventually I tried to convince him, like, look, what happens if the house burns down? There's like $130,000 of coverage. Bank one is going to point to bank two and say, your problem. And bank two is going to point to bank one and say, your problem. And I'm going to be sitting here. There's no way they're going to give me $230,000 checks. I'm going to be sitting here with zero checks and two pissed off insurance companies. So ultimately, I had to go back and renegotiate my term. And I got the seller to give me a discount to pay it off early with cash, which at the time you know, was refinance, but a different bank. But anyway, the you know having more outs, having more extensions or favorable terms or terms with variability at your discretion the more the better because master lease options are not for the faint of heart um they're not inexpensive i'd say you know you got all the legal work and all the due diligence work of a regular transaction and probably and then some you save in a, save on some bank fees and some bank legal doc review and structure but that's only for a temporary period most likely it'll come up down the road so anyway it's a it's a tool in the toolbox uh, i can tell i'm not the biggest fan of it but there's a time and a place and if you got one more tool in the toolbox hey why not thanks till, thanks until next time god bless you've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with ferd neiman ready to learn more go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.